Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. In July, now, we are now in the month that teams will report to their facilities for training camp, getting closer and closer to the start of the season. But you should know there are a lot of NFL players that are training as we speak. In fact, this is the time of year when people with private coaches get their work in with them, which means that my guest today has been incredibly busy lately. So much so that we actually had to change the time of this podcast taping twice. You know, when Josh Allen needs face-to-face time with his coach, you just got to take a back seat to that, and I'm fine with that. Especially because Jordan Palmer, who I'm so excited to talk to today, let me tag along a couple of weeks ago as he trained a different big-name quarterback, Desmond Ritter, who the Falcons picked up in the third round of the draft and who could not have been nicer about having a fly on the wall for his entire session, which was fascinating for me, the session, for a bunch of different reasons. One, I have been to a million practices in my time, but I cannot remember the last time I was at an NFL workout or practice without a specific story to work on. So for me, the freedom to just follow along and listen without any kind of specific thing that I'm looking for was incredibly freeing in the sense that I could just see what what it was that jumped out at me the most. And in this case, it was the intense attention to detail. So I showed up for the start time. Jordan told me to be there at 8 a.m. I was there a few minutes early. Uh, Palmer suggested a place nearby for coffee. Tim's Organic Coffee cannot recommend it enough if you're in South Orange County. If you have to go out of your way to get it, I would say that's not a bad idea. It was very good, and I myself am kind of a coffee snob. Then I made their my way to uh, their office slash classroom, which is in the kind of complex where you would likely find like a doctor's office or have a meeting with your accountant or maybe find an investment firm like the one that Palmer shares his office space with, RX3. It's a firm co-founded by Aaron Rodgers. And uh, one of the partners in that firm was there working that day in in an office off to the side of the main space, which has framed jerseys along the back of the wall, an enclosed meeting room with a boardroom-like table, lots of memorabilia on the wall. There's a bar with some drinks for after work and also Gatorade and stuff like that for during work. And the highlight of the space, which is a huge simulator screen with like turf in front and a couch facing the screen. And this is where they watch tape with background music on the whole time that Palmer controls. He is the DJ. Ritter jokingly called his playlist that day a Hollister playlist, suggested they spray the spot with cologne to complete the vibe. For the record, Palmer called it Buddha Bar Radio, if you want to check it out. Anyway, first thing they did was sit down to watch tape of what they had done the day before. And when I say that, I mean a specific thing that they had done the day before that resulted in them watching and then rewatching the same five, seven second clips of Ritter dropping back while they looked at where and when his foot was planting, did that for 40 minutes. During which time, Jordan's partner, Mike White, arrived to weigh in on the things that he saw. And he kind of started demonstrating on the turf in front of us some of the things. Uh, This is not the Mike White that plays for the Jets, obviously. It's a different Mike White who played quarterback for Missouri State and has gravitated more recently toward the biomechanics of quarterbacking. It's a newfound expertise that he has that is changing the way that Palmer is coaching quarterbacks and definitely altering my ability to understand what they're talking about. I feel like I need to take a kinesiology class or two or three to keep up with some of the things that they're telling me they're doing. A lot of it, to be honest, is going right over my head. And I admitted that at one point to Mike, and he said, perhaps to be kind, perhaps honestly, that that happened a lot and that it was very important in their program that their quarterbacks spoke up when that was the case for them, that they advocated for their own understanding and asked questions when necessary because the coaching wouldn't work if they didn't really understand the why behind their suggestions. So after an hour and a half of tape, we all hop in our cars and we head to a nearby field where TJ Hushmanzada and a few other players are waiting along with a 12-year-old quarterback who comes out every once in a while to train with the guys. He, by the way, The 12-year-old happens to be the son of a guy that I used to work with back in the day at Fox Sports West, one of my faves. And he blends in well with the older players, kind of quiet, watching it all, 
hopping in for reps here and there when there are windows of downtime, popping on a resistance band and doing drop backs and working on what I assume is balance, but could probably be described in a far more technical way. And that is sort of a theme of my experience there that day, technical body movement descriptions that are in line with Palmer's biomechanics push. At one point, he comes over to me and says of a drill that they're doing, we're creating a fulcrum with the hip. Uh, A different one, we're training early trunk extension. Both of those things followed by explanations that I more clearly understood, uh, which described the why, like what both of those things would mean for the inevitable flight of the football. But again, my point, I suppose, is that the training focused on small things that they repeated again and again with an eye on the small thing that they were focused on. It was very purposeful. And to hear Jordan and Mike describe it, very, very different from the norm. And so that's what I want to talk to Jordan about today, about what is the norm and when he decided that the norm was not what he wanted to pursue anymore. So this will not be a list of the clients that Jordan Palmer trains and his expectations for them in their current cities in the upcoming NFL season, though in a few cases that does come up organically. This is me, and hopefully you, trying to understand where we are with quarterback development and where we still have to go. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Jordan, first of all, thank you so much for making time. I know it's been cray for you these last few weeks. What is this just to, you know, give the listener a a general understanding of what this time of year is like for you? What's your, your week, your last week look like? Well, I think this time of the year, I mean, the off season is my season, uh, kind of as a whole, um, you know, the off season means different things for different level players. So for a quarterback who's finishing college, getting ready for the NFL, January is, there is no off season. January is massively important. February is massively important for a guy who is playing in the NFL and doesn't make the playoffs. January is Cabo time. You know what I mean? So go see family, stuff like that. So this time of year, um, June and July, depending on when OTAs finish. So I had kind of in June, I had heavy college players um, who were done with spring ball before summer ball, like they just the workouts and stuff start NFL wise. Uh, if it's so weird having, cause I'm used to basically two seasons of like no OTAs cause of COVID is like when my, all my guys left in April, it was just like, where were you, you know, where's everybody going? Um, uh, cause I was used to two years. I've been here for like seven months. Um, but yeah, it's been heavy college guys early June. And then, uh, these last couple of weeks is a lot of NFL quarterbacks and NFL pass catchers, mostly wide receivers. How many NFL quarterbacks do you work with regularly? Um, it varies year to year. Um, for example, this year I did not like reach out or engage with anybody new. I've got some, uh, I kind of looked inward for the last two years. Um, so continued education, better, better understanding and learning about the human body, um, and building some systems and some programs in place for things that I'm going to do in the future. So I'm kind of building a couple projects. Um, so I just kind of chose to invest my time more into me personally developing and learning and growing more and building some, some programs. Um, and so I didn't really like reach out to anybody new. Um, but two years ago I had doubled the amount of guys I work with, you know what I mean? It's just a different initiative each year. Um, so I'd say 12 to 15 NFL quarterbacks and probably around 20 wide receivers this off season, but on a year when I, um, it was pretty limited on how many guys I worked with. And do you rotate them through on a week to week basis? Like a couple of guys will come out for a week and then a couple more guys will come out for another week. Like what's the focus on the individual look like in terms of time investment, uh, for each person? Yeah. It's almost like one of two categories. Now it's dudes who live here. Right. So that's really like three core guys. So Sam Darnold, Josh Allen and Kyle Allen all live within a mile from me in the off season. So they, you know, they, they've made this home, Sam Donald's from here, but they've made this home. Um, in years past, I didn't have any this year, but guys will come out for the entire off season, right? They'll, they'll essentially live here. They'll do an Airbnb for three months or whatever. Um, and so I would say it's usually like five to seven guys are doing that. Um, and then the second one would be guys who come in for a week or come for two weeks or, um, I don't have like a three-day program or a five-day program. It's pretty specific to 
you know, these guys are NFL guys. I want to fit into their schedule. Um, you know, Desmond Ritter's out here. Well, yeah, you bring your, your, your family with you, you know, and, and I'm dialing in, you know, to go to the zoo. Cause you know, the baby's not going to appreciate Disneyland. The zoo's easier. So here's where you guys ought to eat. And like, this is a really good quaint beach in Dana point or Laguna beach, whatever. So um, for some guys who come in for a week, they come in with their wide receiver or they come in with their family or both. Um, or they come in for three days to just grind. So it's just either like guys who live here or people who are coming out for a specific period of time. And then we build a program around that. When you say that you um, spent some time looking inward and focusing on yourself, I know that that was in some way like, you know, business opportunities and building out some stuff like that. How much of that has to do with the types of things that you're coaching too? Because I know that your partnership with Mike White lately has gone in a more a biomechanical direction. Would you say that that's fair to say in the last few yeah. years that that's become more on your radar, things like that? Yeah, I just, um, it's not an indictment on any one person. It's an indictment on the industry as a whole industry from NFL quarterback coaches, college quarterback coaches, gurus, high school quarterback coaches across the board. And I would myself, I, I think I'm transitioning out of being in that category. Um, I don't even know that I'm completely removed from the category yet of, Everybody in there can understand, explain what they want the quarterback to do. Now, that might be their personal opinion, and it might be dead wrong, right? Or it might be their personal opinion and make a lot of sense. Um, but I just, I mean, I can count on one hand how many people can explain how and why. And when mm -hmm. I say how, I don't mean like put your left foot here and your right foot there. I mean, uh, I can explain what body parts are moving and how that chain is affected. And it's not it's just naming the body part. It's just under, it can explain how and why we're, we want that to be done. Um, and then I go spend time with some of the top golf coaches, swing coaches on the PGA tour, by the way, like the best swing coaches on tour, they're charging a million bucks a guy a year. It's just a different world. Um, and, um, and then uh, in baseball, it's the same thing. I mean, like every pitching coach can explain all of those things. And then you go talk to the quarterback coach from the fill in the blank with anything you want, Lindsay. Right. And you go, you're talking about like any he, level, he, like high school, college, NFL, all of the quarterback coaches. College and pro. Yeah. And I mean, this. you just get guys who go, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they can recruit and they can articulate what they believe, but there's just not the how and the why that's connected, but because it's not their fault. It's because you can be a quarterback coach in the league and maybe become a coordinator, maybe become a head coach. Oh, off not needing to know the body. You know what I'm saying? Like I've had great conversations and this will be out and all that stuff, but like a guy like Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore, you say what you want, like looking backwards, like it's first winning as quarterback in college football history. And it'll probably never be touched again. Right. Like 50 years from now, he's probably gonna be number one. Um, a guy who went right from playing in the NFL to being a quarterback coach, to quickly being a coordinator, to quickly getting interviews. He's going to be a head coach next year or the following year forever right. right and was able to do all of those things and he'd tell you i'm not a expert on the human body he was able to dominate college football in a way that will never happen again from a winning percentage standpoint fly through the coaching ranks at a pace and trajectory that i don't know maybe no one else has i don't, I don't do the math kevin o'connell sean McVay, whatever and he's just going to fly right through this and we'll and would I'm not putting words in his mouth. Would probably say like, "Yeah, I, I my, the, the reason that's happening is not my understanding of the body. It's it's football yeah. and calling plays and being a great communicator and being really intelligent and understanding the game. So you can have a really awesome career without ever being able to really understand the human body, but you can't in baseball. Right? You can't do that in golf. Relationships. Why is that? I think I think that's shocking to work with Dustin Johnson. Yeah. You're not getting that job. Why is it that you think football is so behind in that area? Um, oh man, I don't know. Um, Just because I, I people have been getting away with it. I don't. Yeah. I mean, it, people aren't hiring against it. Right. So I have a couple college clients where I, that the school is my client. I, I work with the quarterback coach, the strength coach and the physical therapist, and we're on zoom together. Mm -hmm. And so I'm implementing a program. Some cases I don't talk to the quarterback that much on the, with these clients, right? But in the beginning, when I was pitching this new concept, 
uh, as I'm talking to the head coach, because it has to come from the head coach down, right? Um, you got to have buy-in from the quarterback coach and the coordinator. Not just, I don't want it to be because their boss said to do it. Um, so I got to get them to understand kind of where we're coming from in a really respectful way. Um, but when I like would talk to the head coach and I, you know, don't share who the clients are, but, um, what I'd say is like, so pull up your quarterback coach's resume and show me the paragraph on biomechanics or kinesiology degree background, right? Like show that. And and that's not in there, but show me the job, job description where you asked about that. That's not in there either. So it's not even his fault. And I'm not, it, it's your fault, but I'm not saying it's your fault because no one else has that either. And so it's just an industry thing. And football people are so football, right? Like it's really rare that like I'm, I'm, fr- I'm friends with two people that like most people in football don't know Chris Brickley, right? He does what I do in the NBA. Right? Go on his Instagram. He's got 1.2 million followers and he's a private basketball coach. He's got mellow in there all the time. The was in there last week. He's got big partnerships. He's in NBA 2K in the basketball game. Like he's really present in that space, but he does what I do in basketball. We're, we're both, I'm the global ambassador for Wilson football. He's the global ambassador for Wilson basketball. and so. Like the, the, but, and then the same thing, I could find somebody in baseball and say the same thing. Like I interface with basketball. I interface with golf a lot. I do a lot with Titleist. Um, I interface with the guys that do what I do in baseball. But if you're the offensive coordinator for the Washington commanders, like there's just a chance you don't know any, you have no idea what they do in golf. Yeah. You have no idea. You might watch the masters, but you have no idea what the golf industry is doing because they have so many responsibilities. I'm just, I don't recruit. I don't have a room full of quarterbacks that I'm responsible for 12 months out of the year. I'm not installing. I'm not breaking down coverage. It like, cause I'm not a coach on a team. I have, I can allocate bandwidth towards things outside of the sport of football in a way that the Carolina Panthers quarterback coach can't do. He's got a 12 months, 365, hundred hour work weeks for Panthers football. Right. right? So it's not an indictment on anybody. It's just an assessment of the industry. And I just say, like, I have a unique perspective, unique ability to have this opinion because when I do draft training, I work with every college's finished product. And then one way or another, I interface with all 32 teams. I just had the Elite 11 the other day. So there's 20 kids from 11 states. This is my 24th year doing it. You know what I mean? Like I have camp, I ran 12 camps this year, 340 kids come to my camps from five countries. 41 states, including Alaska and, and, uh, and Hawaii. So it's just like, it, I'm not right or wrong. It's just my assessment of the entire industry in a way that like, that's a unique perspective over that. You were working with quarterbacks before this really occurred to you, right? Like you were doing drills, you were training people. And then yeah. you kind of became aware, like that a lot of people didn't fully understand the biomechanics behind why they're doing what they're doing and then therefore what they should be doing as a result. And it's probably different for every person, right? Because if the yeah, whole point I, I is like- I had a bunch of really good drills that work for certain people. They, well, I mean, first off, it's all stuff that I did for myself. So I had two seasons where I was not on a roster. Mm-hmm. And so I was throwing with my buddy, Brad Vaughn. He was my high school wideout who was trying to become a firefighter. He was the only guy who could like throw Wednesdays at nine. You know what I mean? And so- I was making shit up and, and then this works, that works. And then training kids, they bring receivers and then running elite 11 regionals, which is not my drills. It's, you know, the staff's drills, but anyways, I was, I was, and then I, I, like about five years ago, people started asking me why and how and what, and I just didn't have great answers because I was talking about their low back, right. Or their like left leg. And I just started kind of calling BS on myself hmm. and I hated school. I'm, I just, I'm not good at school. Um, and I was just a bad student. I'm a bad test taker. I'm a bad, you know? And so that wasn't the, the, the route for me to go get my master's. And, um, you know, I've shared this with you, but I, I have a past life here. Right? So I, I built two companies and sold both of them. Um, and so both of them to over 150 employees with no funding. And so we started Kalo wedding rings, silicone wedding ring. We created that category. We sold to a private equity firm seven years ago. And then we spun off and started Common Thread Collective, which today has 220 employees. It's a digital marketing agency. My high school whiteout, my other one, not Brad Bond, Taylor Holiday. We started that together, both of those companies together. And so uh, with some other awesome partners. Um, and so I, I had like, that's what I was doing. You know what I mean? I, I would do like Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Kyle Allen, we did draft training. 
every day I'd end at 1030 and go to the office, you know, and work hmm. and have nothing to do with football. Like, you know, I'm selling websites. This was like a side job. That was your day job. It was, it was literally a side job. And so, um, it was a passion project. So as I, as I, I uh, about three years ago, this September would be three years from when I sold, I left common thread collective, um, and went all in on football. And so, and I went, I went all, I left my company. I sold it back to my partners, went all in on an event business about a month before COVID hit. And so it created an opportunity for me to do two things. One, look inwardly and just call BS and all stuff. I don't actually have a good answer for. And two, I launched an online business. That's really cool. and has a lot of members. What, what online business? What do you mean? So, uh, summit digital. So if you go to qbsummit.com, Yes. Um, Summit Digital. I've got about 100 pieces of content in there. We Zoom every Sunday. Um, I've got kids from almost all 50 states, a um, couple hundred members. It's a really, really cool business. And we talk a lot of quarterback, but we talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot about how to treat people. We talk a lot about how to deal with social media. We talk a lot about nutrition, confidence. So, it, uh, you know, it's, it's more about how it, most of my members are between like 13 and 19. And so, um, it's a lot of that, but I also have a lot of special guests on too. So how do you talk to a high school quarterback differently than you talk to like a Josh Allen or a Joe Burrow or somebody like that, that you're training? Are the messages still the same or are, or is it completely different what you're focusing on? So I kind of think of this like two categories. So somebody who has like, has the potential to do this for a living, which mm-hmm. now means starting in college. Right. Like you can become a professional quarterback and never play. That's in the NFL. true. That's true. Yeah. Right? Um, and then somebody who probably doesn't, or it's too early to tell. Right. If you tell me, if you're like, Lindsay's like, Hey, my nephew is the, the best 11 year old you've ever seen. Like, and he's the number one ranked 11 year old. It's still too early to tell he's only 11. Right. When so, is it not too early? Um, I want to see it on varsity. Oh, I'm, okay. Yeah. Right. I've got a couple kids. I kind of have this term like, oh, this kid's Neo. Like, he's the one. Like okay, Matrix, got it. Right? Uh-huh. Um, I've got I've got a seventh grader. I'm not going to say that. I've got a seventh grader that I, I I just I just did a video recording. I'm like, this is what how I think this is going to go down. It's personal use. I don't want to put any pressure on him, but I have a seventh grader that I think is out of Florida that I think is the one. But I'll, but I have no idea, right? He hasn't mm-hmm. plays hasn't. Whatever. Hasn't done the potential yet. So, is there for now. Potential is there. So, um, and the writing's on the wall. I don't care about the physical talent. I care about the mental makeup. So, mm. um, so around high school, right. You can kind of tell. And so, uh, I know that's kind of broad, but ju- sophomore, junior, senior years when you can kind of tell. So, and clearly there's guys who, you know, there's the stories of the guys who had no offers and they became Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen. And then there's a long story of the kids who had 40 offers and never played snap college. Um, but I put them in kind of two categories, somebody who has a chance to do this for a living or is currently doing this for a living. And then somebody who's probably not. So how I talk to somebody who's probably not where like the ceiling might be, they get a chance to start their senior year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, then I, I kind of put them in this category and I go, look, now I'm not going to put a cap on their potential, but the way I would address that group, and that's largely summit tour kids. Like I don't get the top high school quarterbacks in the country come to my summit tour events. Part of it is because I think they see the video and they see the pictures online. They see 10 and 11 and 12 year olds. And they go, that's not for them. Those guys end up becoming private clients. So that's, that's fine. But for my camps, I base a lot of the languaging around this belief that I think quarterbacks are the most influential young men in our country. And to support that, obviously at the top, you got the, the fame, you, you got fame, right. And like an awareness and platform, you got Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, right. So like, clearly those people are very influential. But go down to college, it's not like, like it used to be like CJ Stroud would be the big man on campus at Ohio State. He's way more than big man on campus. Campus, he's way bigger than that, right? High school, these kids I was with this week, Elite 11, they're way bigger than big man on campus. Everybody in that region knows who they are, right? I had a workout with Arch Manning last week in Thibodeau, Louisiana. He's not... He's not big man on campus. No, he's like he's household like, he's name. national news. I know. Okay. Oh, but great. take um, Dylan Mills competing to be the starter his junior year at San Clemente High School. 
mm-hmm. with no offers, right? He is big man on campus, right? And so when you take the aggregate of these kids, and I and, and you know, and Dylan may play, you know, he's probably gonna get a scholarship, maybe not, but right now he doesn't have any. So he's the big man on campus. And so that on down, I just I just say, hey, look, quarterback, we're different. We are not athletes. If you're gonna be a quarterback, you're not an athlete, you're not a football player. We don't use that type of language. You're a quarterback. That means you are different. And you need to be a quarterback in every single phase of your life. And when you sign up to play quarterback, you sign up for all of them. Right? You sign up for the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, getting screwed over. This wasn't my fault. I can't believe they're saying this about me. You signed up for it. You better not bitch about it. Right? And you also sign up for all the love and all the admiration. You know, I mean, you throw three screens and they go to the house and all of a sudden you threw three touchdowns. Right? You sign up for all of it. Right? And I tell parents playing quarterback at a young age gets you access to get you more access to high quality life reps than any of the boys their age. So a high school, let's say you get a chance to start as, as I'm on varsity and a crappy high school program in the middle of nowhere, and you're not going to play after high school. You are still getting more life reps than the shortstop, the outside hitter, the whatever the mean guy in lacrosse is, I don't know sport, like all of them, you know what I'm saying? And so for the, the ones who are trying to do this, but probably won't do anything with it. Well, hold on. You can do a lot with this. You can learn how to become a better man. You can learn how to lead people. You can learn how to deal with responsibility. And so you better take advantage of that and not just complain that you don't have any offers. And then if you really, if you're on the other side of it and you really want to do this for a living, I can show you how to do that. I can at least worst case scenario expose you to what it's probably going to take. It's funny. Now I'm in the midst of like the youth sport stuff for my son and seeing some of the gross sides of that, you know, up close and personal also some good parts too, but like as a cliche, everybody knows that sometimes the parents make too much of it at too young of an age as somebody who works with, you know, professional athletes and has been around sports at that level. It's kind of funny to watch people, you know, getting like really, really aggro on an eight-year-old. Um, but I, I do think that it's, it's funny, like a baseball is a sport of failure. So it strikes me you know, 50,000 foot view is like, these are great opportunities to teach these kids when they do fail, like, you know, to not punish them, but to, to be like, that's the mental strength. That's like, you got to be able to flush that, that bad play that just happened and turn around. There's so many lessons that can get wrapped up in it that are more important for the long term than whether or not you got the hit or you made the play or anything like that. Is there anything that you see when you're looking at like high school coaches or now that you're looking at football from a 50,000 foot view, you know, with clients like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow who are playing in like Super Bowls and AFC championship games. Well, almost um, Josh sad. Anyway, uh, that you see like high school coaches or coaches that are developing these guys at those younger stages. And it doesn't have to be the things that I mentioned, but are there things that you see them doing that you're like, that's just not the right way to go about it? Yeah, I think I definitely see mechanical things I disagree with, but that's just never going to change, right? I mean, there's just so what many do you mean? Why not? Well, I'm looking to change it, and I'm building a certification program right now, and it's not based off what I think you should do. It's based off of human body movement and positions right. we can't get ourselves in to be able to create leverage, and so that's what I'm building, and will it be 100% sell-through? I doubt it. Um but I know it's not going to be completely bought into at higher ranks with older coaches who have been setting their ways for a long time. And so that's why I say, no, it'll never, that will always be the case. There will always be people who would prefer to do it the way that they've convinced themselves is right or that they believe is right. Um, and that's fine. And so like, it's funny, like I get a high, a high school kid will complain about what the coach is telling him to do and how different it is, but I get that in college and I get that in the NFL too. From how different it is from what you're telling them to do. Uh, yeah. And especially when it's something that I'm going, here's from a physiological standpoint, why this is the best way to do it. Um, but they just disagree. How do you handle that? So I have to train a player to be able to, I gotta be careful here, um, to have a lot of examples. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) when somebody's asking somebody to do something, so there's an example, because this is a common one, right? I want you to get away from center as fast as you possibly can turn and run. Right. Well, I I think about it more in terms of like the goal should be to get back there and be on, on balance. Let's just oversimplify it. Like I want to get back there and be on balance to be able to throw. 
quick as quick as possible. So I can do that by turning and running and then create work at the end to have to slow myself down, stop myself and get balanced. Or I can do it more efficiently throughout. And actually, I bet you I get the ball out sooner, but I'm also balanced and stuff or balanced at the top of it. And so when I have a player and this says the coach wants me to do it that way, then what I'll do is go, okay, so the coach is really set on you doing this at the beginning. And I may completely be able to back it up and support that that's wrong. But your coach is asking you to do it. So why don't you do that? And let's really, let me look at the top of your drop, the end of your drop. And let's make sure that these two things happen so that you can actually decelerate and actually get that foot in the ground the right way to where I can transfer my energy better. So it's more like, what's the, what's the coach asking you to do? What's wrong about that? Great. How do we allow you to be coachable and do it the way that he's asking? But how can you own this at the end so that you are in the position you want to be at the end? Um, and so I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does to me, but like. It's just so complicated for the athlete. Like to be caught, you know, between these two different messages. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it is, but it's like, this guy's making a lot of money, so you can figure it out. I think like one of the most important traits in a quarterback is figure it out of this. I mean, we made the word up, but like. <laughs> it's a good one. Figure it out. You know, whether that's third down with the ball in your hand or that's, you can vehemently disagree with what your coach is asking you to do. And the irony too is that in some of these cases, um, the quarterback's making 30 plus million dollars a year and the quarterback's coach is making 400 grand. And I always say who works for who, right? Um, but, you know, there's something to be coachable and, and there's something to be able to take in information. And I'm in a diverse set of philosophies. You play the game long enough, you're going to hear a bunch of different people's opinion on how to do it. Um, and so that's why one of the incentives to getting awesome at it and becoming a franchise quarterback is now you can start to go, actually, this is what's best for me. Um, now it can happen in recruiting too, right? I mean, I'm going to come to your school and here's how I actually want to do it. So do you find that you have to arm them with the language to justify like, so that they can explain what they're doing and why they're doing it so that yeah, they can that, use the helpful, right pretty, phrasing to convince yeah, it, it's pretty case by case basis. Right. I mean, um, I try and arm guys with an understanding of it anyways. I mean, we, right. we, we're going to, however you use this information, here's what your obliques are. Here's where they attach. Here's what the functionality of them are. Here's what the responsibility is in the body. So either way, I'm trying to equip guys. I'm telling every high school kid, when you get to college, taking an anatomy class, I'm pushing all my college guys to take anatomy classes, um, strengthen your language. Again, I want to get um, like a friend of mine, Dave Phillips. He's one of those swing coaches in, in golf. Who's the guy. And, he, and like John Rom is one of his clients right now, who's one of the top ranked golfers in the world. I was like, I need to get a video of just them talking just to mm -hmm. show some of these NFL quarterback coaches. Yes. What their conversation looks like. You know, so I'm getting full extension. My serratus, I just feel like it's, you know, I have an impingement on the back. Like, I just want to hear them. I just want like them to hear them talk. Because it sounds <laughs> like, like just, this is how you're talking to your quarterback, right? That's how? Yeah. No? And we're saying not? like, you know, really lean into it, right? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's Let me ask you this because this actually came up in the baseball world last week, right? There was a little bit of a story about, um, somebody who talked about going to work with their private coach in season. And there's some, um, you know, some people that were like, this doesn't look good for the organization that he's going outside the organization to talk to private coaches. And then, and then that whole thing. Uh, and how much do you find, like, do you reach out to coaches that are in a position and try and create a, a relationship there? Do coaches sometimes reach out to you so that you can make sure that you're on the same page? I mean, you're working with some pretty high profile people that the franchises are very heavily invested in, and they have to know that this person's working with you in the off season. It seems fairly obvious to me that it would be in their best interest to kind of get on the same page and maybe take some of what you're taking and implement it in, in their practices with the yeah. quarterback too. We're in a transitional period right now where as an industry as an industry where it's part of the reason I want to come up with a certification because the more people that pop up with opinions and then train a famous guy, and then now they're experts or gurus or whisperers, um, the worse it makes the people who do understand what they're talking about. Look, cause it, you can generalize all of them as oh the guru guy. Right. I just, I think three people minimum are going to train a quarterback throughout 12 months. The quarterback coach on the team that they play for high school, college or pro 
their part-time opinion, people like me. Okay. okay. Now I said minimum of three, because on an NFL team, you might, the quarterback coach might coach the quarterbacks. The OC might weigh in on things. There might be an mm-hmm. assistant guy in the room, right? They may bring in Josh McCown for OTAs to weigh in, right? So that's minimum the team you play on one, two part-time opinion. Again, minimum of one. Some people throw with multiple guys, right? And then the player himself, he's still going to skip an out route out there and then go, Ooh, let me aim higher or let me do this. Okay. So I just say, if all three of those aren't on the same page, you just cap that player's development. Mixed messaging is the enemy of development, in my opinion. And so we're in a transitional period right now where there was no respect for the private quarterback coaching industry. So there's no reason to talk to them or inquire of them. Right. And then there's a couple of us out there where they do want the opinion or they, or they, or they maybe meet worst case scenario, they just want to appease their quarterback, right. By looping it in. And then there's a couple of examples where it's like, no, I actually talk to them all the time. Right. When you see the growth of Josh Allen through three years and then you go, Okay, where was the, where was what was he doing? Well, the jump happened after COVID. He was out here for seven and a half months, right? They weren't. No one was in Buffalo, right? Now, I'm going to make the argument that the growth happened with the staff, with Ken Dorsey. I'm I'm going to make the argument that happened there, and it happened because Josh Allen is a person who never stops thinking about his mechanics and is always trying to find it. So on the Bills, Jordan Palmer, Josh Allen thing, like I. Even though he's out here, like I'll make the I'll make the argument that it's, it it was what he was doing with Buffalo, and it was what he was doing when he's walking around his house thinking about stuff, and playing with it, and asking people questions. So, but either way, there's a minimum of three people. Now, in that case, all three of us said the same things. There was uniformity. There was some synchronization. Was that of coincidental, that. or was that because they were open to talking to you and open to making talking. sure you were and on the Josh is just an amazing communicator, and he's just so self sufficient. You know what I mean? Like nobody reminded him to do anything. Like he's just, he's constantly thinking about it. And so, um, and I've got a couple other cases where like, no, I, I work with them, I've got, but I've got some guys that are starters in this league and like all the communication goes through the player and he's going to traffic those conversations. Right. And then I've got times where I'm, no, I'm talking to the quarterback coach on a very consistent basis weekly when they're a client. So it just varies across the board, but I transitional period is you're going to see, I think more teams, connecting to that person that they're with in the off season. It's happening right now. There's a couple of folks in my industry who are going to the, they're doing the workouts at the team facility and the team starting to pay for it. And um, I just look at this and I go, <laughs> this whole thing is about the quarterback. And when the new CBA or not new CBA, when the new TV contracts hit, I mean, these guys are going to be making 70 a year, like not that far from now. Mm-hmm. College kids are making nine, oh whatever gosh. the numbers are. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. So my thing is like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Well, it does feel like too, you have a generation of people that know more than they've ever known. Like it, just sitting there listening to the types of things that you're going over with Desmond Ritter on the day that I was there watching, I thought how much of this would potentially go over the head of somebody who just wasn't willing to really dive into understanding all of the stuff. Like, you guys I think are a lot about- of people, a lot of quarterback coaches in the NFL and a lot of quarterback co- quarterbacks in the NFL on rosters would not follow Desmond and Mike and I's conversation. Why do you think Desmond does follow that? Do you think that that has to do with mental aptitude? Does that have to do with just a, a willingness to want to learn and ask the right questions? Like it strikes me that to us at a certain point, that maybe the physicality and the athletic skill and the stuff physically that someone has, that that might plateau. And then the separator becomes that type of thing, like the willingness to take in new information and then maybe also to take that information and make their body do the thing, right? Like that's a skill in and of itself. Um, But what is it that like in Desmond's case, do you think makes him able to have that conversation? So this is our third year together. So that just overall, just for context for the relationships this is our third year together. But, um, but yeah, it's a combination of those things. Yeah. Of course it's mental aptitude, right? I don't have to explain. It doesn't take me 15 minutes to explain him a simple concept, right? He picks it up right away. His study habits, his preparation. I'm not just sitting here. He's the draft's over. So I'm not sitting here telling everybody how awesome he is. Like everyone's going to see, I have no problem making strong statements about Desmond Ritter and his future. 
Um, but his, so his mental aptitude is attention to detail. Um, he's really, really interested in doing things correctly based off what he agrees is correct. So he requires a lot of logic behind it because he's going to sit here and go, well, well, how does, why is that? Right. So you, you, you have to make sense, not be, for him to understand it, but because for him to believe you, because he just, he's one of these burrow. A lot of these guys, it's like, no, you can't just throw BS at them. They're going to see right through it. They're too smart. And they have really logical, really, really intelligent questions to ask. And so it's his buy-in, it's his work ethic and everybody works hard. I hate using the term work ethic with quarterbacks because that should be a prerequisite. Right. Uh, but there are levels, there are levels of buy-in. Tom Brady operates at a different level of buy-in than a lot of other very successful quarterbacks. Leave it at that. Um, but Desmond has that type of buy-in, um, especially for a young man. Um, the athleticism, that, that's the part that can be capped, right? Like the actual like output of a muscle group, that, that can essentially be capped, right? Like certain people's biceps are just not going to get any bigger. But it's now, how, but how connected you are and how efficient your movements become, I don't know that I see a cap on that because I, I, I think Brady's playing his most connected football. Yes. Right now. It's right. funny and because if efficiency was a phrase that you guys talked about a lot, things that you were pointing out to me, it was like, look how efficient he is in the pocket. Burrow was a specific, um, you know, piece of tape that you pointed to. Like there's not, not one un- inefficient movement that he makes here on this drop back or this, you know, yeah. on this play. And it reminded me of all the talk about Brady, right? People talk about everybody else in their footwork. And what they're usually talking about is this like crazy athlete athleticism and stuff like that. But people have said forever that Brady has the most efficient po- uh, footwork in the pocket. Like yeah. he just sort of glides around and everything, nothing's a wasted movement. And most and, people will say that, look how efficient he is. And then, you know, so what do you, what's so efficient? Oh, uh, well, I mean, he just, you know what I mean? He, he doesn't, he's not running around all like it's, that's just, you know what I mean? Like that's where like the understanding of the word efficient ends from definitely people in TV, but honestly coaches too. Right. Yeah. Why is that efficient? Well, because he's not, he doesn't have a lot of wasted movement. Okay. So how is he being so efficient? Like, well, he's not really stepping unnecessarily, which is the same way of like a different way of saying the same thing. And like, so, so, okay. Why isn't he stepping unnecessarily? Well, cause he's really balanced. Okay. So that's the same thing said differently. Okay. But then like, that's where it ends. Right. But it's not like what I'm looking at is like, how is he applying force to the ground and creating leverage? So mm-hmm. the angle of his foot, how far outside of his hip his foot is, that's why that's efficient is because he's able to create ground force. But to create a position to be able to have, create leverage to now move his hips over here, that's why his feet go with him there, right? So again, if we're like looking at a piece of tape, it's easier, but it's just like that. The, the conversation stops at describing somebody as efficient but everyone has different definitions of what actually allows for that to happen. And that's kind of what I've been in a cave working on for the last probably nine months. Do you work on different things with different quarterbacks when they come in? Like one of the things that you, when you were watching tape with Desmond, you watched the same five dropbacks from the day before for like 40 minutes talking about, um, you know, one specific foot and where it was planting and, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all of the biomechanicals reasons that you were talking about that, of course, go over my head. Um, but is it the same type of thing you're looking for in every quarterback or when they come in, are you like, I'm seeing something there and we're going to work on that specific thing over and over again? Yeah. It's case by case basis. So, um, I like to say like, I'm a holistic doctor. That's not, I'm not, I I don't like to say I'm a holistic doctor. I like to look at it as a holistic doctor, a family met, a family physician, right? Where like we could at least can sit here and evaluate any of these things and let's give you a diagnosis and let's give you a prescription and address that specific need. And by the way, if you have a need that's outside of my understanding your ability to impact you, which happens all the time, got a pretty good network of people I ought to connect you with to go work on that, right? But no, it's case by case. So with Desmond, I call them areas of attention. It doesn't suck. You're not broken. Right. But like, here's an area that needs attention. So we go through a process and if it's on the physical side of things, um, want them to get, want to get the buy-in and that we both agree this is an issue. Okay. Or an area of attention. Okay? Then we go through a process. It's four steps. So one 
is um, I need to learn the pattern, the new pattern and execute it correctly. So, you know, with Desmond, it was a specific drop. I'll leave it, you know, leave, leave that, that. So it was a drop to throwing a certain ball to a certain part of the field, which is usually with all quarterbacks. It's a version of that. Um, and so one, we got to learn the pattern and execute it correctly. And that's right there where a lot of people in the industry go wrong. They just work on it full speed, right? Mm. Let's say it's an out route to the left. Let's just get a ton just of out routes to run the left. 50 of those. Tons of them. You know what I mean? Without addressing the part of it that might be Which is creating more patterns of that yeah. poor movement. Right. Strengthening your bad habit or helping you get better at sucking is another way to say it. So, <laughs> um, so we got to learn the pattern, execute it correctly. That is slow and boring. That is not even half speed. That is walking and boring. Okay. Then we can add resistance to strengthen the movement. Then we can add speed or, or you know, pick up the pace or the tempo. Right. And then fourth, prepare for competition, whether that's routes on air, whether that's seven on seven, whether that's actual competition. So you got to go through that process. And what most people do, and in college and pro, going back to our original conversation, they don't have time to sit for 45 minutes and watch the same drop over and over again. They have a 20 hour rule in college and in the NFL, they have their CBA's version of a 20 hour rule. I'm sure they would love to do that if they could. They're, it's illegal. They can't. And so that's why like the private quarterback coach, there's got to be a threshold of, can they actually explain how to get this player better? And then can that system plug into like, is that compatible with what they're doing at that school or that team? Um, and so that's why I go, if it's grounded in like logic and human body movement, then I should be able to plug that into your team or your school or you, or you're the problem. How, right? how, how much of a change can you make in a short period of time by isolating something like that? You can make like, a significant change in that thing that you're isolating. Okay. And depending on what that thing is can have, like, if we're just working on starting and gun. So let's say somebody starts and gun and they're, 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 they're leaning over their right side and all their weights on their front foot. And the first thing they do is lean back with their upper body. And that is a, an overwhelming majority of quarterbacks, right? By addressing that, starting from a place of stability, an efficient first movement and maintaining stability through the drop. Like that would be one thing that I work on with a guy. I've got a couple of very prominent high school and college guys next week. Um, like poof, that's it right there. We're going to, we're going to fix your guns drop. They're like what, you know, like, is it going to be a lot of throws? I have practice. Like it might be zero throws, bro, but we're going to make, we're going to change something on you. That's going to have a cascading effect. Now, if I work on play action from under center to the left, throwing a bang eight, like, well, that's not going to help everything. That's going to help that. Right. So how helpful is it? I don't know how often you call that play. Right. So it, it depends case by case basis on how, how big the effect can be, but taking a player who's used to bouncing and playing on their toes and getting them connected to the ground. It's made a big difference in Josh Allen and Joe Burrow's career. Do you guys have like a throws limit? Like, like baseball does? You know, where they're very, very careful about protecting mm -hmm. a pitcher's arm. Do you guys, is that something that is on quarterbacks radars or should be? Um, I, if you have to protect a player from overthrowing because they don't have the self-control to say my arm's starting to bug me or my arm's getting tired, I just want to get the work. I just usually don't work with, you know, that doesn't come up a ton. Um, and we're also looking at the scope of work for the week. I don't have a pitch count. I got a pretty good feel for what's a hundred and what's 150. So um, I think if it was the other thing about pitchers is they're usually throwing max velocity or really close to it. And that's just not the case with quarterbacks. I mean, the most common throws in football is the layer throw firm with an arc, but guys in the NFL throw the ball as hard as they can, like a couple times a game. So I, I, pitch counts, not as, 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 as relevant, but it's not a bad question. I mean, it definitely comes up and I've definitely been asked it a lot. But with baseball, it's just that's the thing about baseball. They're so far ahead. I mean, there's a camera measuring the angle of their wrist, like elbow and wrist association on the pitch. And when it drops below this degree, there's a guy in a booth managing that in a baseball game. And when the elbow drops to here, the increase for injury goes through the roof. Like, we don't have that in football. Is that where we're headed in football? Not Should we be level? headed there? 100%. What, what other position matters? <laughs> right like what other position matters so you can 
there's just, you can just have that piece figured out and get a job. And everyone in the building can get job extensions. And so like, yeah, we're heading as much information as fast as possible. And if people are unwilling to incorporate new data and new technology and open their mind to learning, there's a ton of them that are pointless and the company's not going to fail and all that. Like, but if, if, if we have a bunch of people who aren't curious and open-minded about this, like those are the, get them out and give one of these young people a job. That's what you're seeing at the quarterback position. I mean, Zach Robinson, quarterback coach, Los Angeles Rams, like Mike Kafka heading into year four, right? I already mentioned Kellen Moore left and right. These guys are becoming, and some of these older quarterback coaches in the NFL and college, they're concerned for sure. It's happening, but it's not just because like, they're sexy young coach and the name that doesn't matter when you're hiring a quarterback coach in the NFL, right? So it's not a marketing thing. And it's not for just because they're cheaper the difference between 300 grand and 260 grand, you know what I mean? Do the NFL owner that doesn't matter. Right. Or 500 grand and 250 grand. That doesn't matter to an NFL owner. Right. No, it's, I think it's the open mind. It's being open-minded or you just got done playing and you're working with some of these technologies and you're understanding how that works. Well, cool. Bring that into this room. So we're seeing this thing flip here. Um, this position, this position coach is getting younger and younger at the college and NFL level. This feels counterintuitive listening to you talk. This might be a stupid question, but um, Joe Burrow coming off the knee injury in the long run, might that have been a good thing to happen to him because it forced him to kind of like retrain his body as a quarterback with some of the things that you're talking about here, now that you're so familiar with different biomechanical things, when you work with him in the off season and you're trying kind of taking like certain parts of the body out of it or like working it back in to a degree, do you think that ended up making him a better quarterback? Um, I, I just think anytime to, uh, I, I would say there are elements, this is true for anybody who's coming off of an injury or had something terrible happen to them in their life. And then they learned from it. The silver lining essentially is kind of the theme here. Uh, I think there's a ton of positives that came from that experience. And then there's just a bunch of negatives too. So I, I don't, I don't know that I'd be on the side where I say it was a good thing. Um, but I don't also don't know the personal pain and all the things that went through it. Right. But just um, purely from a quarterbacking standpoint, did you come a lot out of, of it as a better quarterback? They're going to possibly impact his career and have already. When you rehab a knee, I saw this with Adrian Peterson. Okay. I think he rushed for 2000 yards after his ACL. Is that right? Um, he had a crazy yeah. year after he tore his ACL. Yep. And how is that possible? Right. Well, when you rehab your knee, you don't just ice and stem your knee. I mean, your quads, your glutes, your obliques, your adductors, all these muscle groups that support that knee. If you rehab your knee correctly with a world-class team and nutrition and all the things like when you're in a hurry to get back and that might be the best you've ever eaten. That might be the most you've ever paid attention to sleep. That might be, be the least amount of alcohol you've ever drank in that period of time. That might be not the, maybe it's the hardest you've ever worked. Maybe it's not, but what it is, is it's a, it's an opportunity to develop and change your perspective on working on my game. You're working to get back by a deadline to be able to play at a certain level and all the things that, you know, these guys are self-starters, right? Andrew Peterson doesn't need convincing to work hard and it is Joe Burrow, but how could Adrian Peterson come back and be better and faster and all that? Because maybe he addressed his body in a way he never had in the past. And with Joe, my brother did it twice, like ACL twice. Like you address your, the attention you pay to your body. It sucks. It's super hard. It's super painful. Like no trips, no fun stuff. Like, you know I mean? The sacrifice is just overwhelmed is over the top. But yeah, I think there's a case to be made that, the silver lining that can come out of that is a different approach to your off season, to your body and a different set of muscles and the sequencing of your body uh, that can make a major impact. And in Joe's case, he throws the ball harder post knee surgery than he does before knee surgery. And it's not because the surgery or the ACL that they put in there, it's a byproduct of a lot that came out of that off season. Like what, how does he, how does he come out of that throwing harder? his lower half, I think is stronger. It's more connected. He's, yeah. he was forced to, to, you know, one rehabilitate, but also 
you know, strengthen his body in a way that, you know, he hadn't before. He was at Ohio State trying to become the backup and then trying to become a starter and then transferred and trying to have a good junior year and then trying to figure out how they're going to be senior year. And then poof, get ready for the NFL draft. And then COVID hits. He met his team on Zoom. He never even met anybody on his team until training camp. That was his rookie year, right? That's peak COVID. Then you come out and then he tears his ACL. And everyone was talking about Justin Herbert's rookie year where we were talking about it then. Joe was on pace. Joe had better numbers at that point when he got hurt. Oh, yeah. Joe was on pace to have one of the most historic, maybe a, the best rookie year ever. Right. Right. Statistically speaking. So, like, to, you know, so that, so it's just, it's not like he's like in year six and he's had a bunch of the same off seasons. Every single off season he's had since he left high school has been different and unique. So, the one where he rehabbed his knee was different and unique to the development. Um, and the connection that he built in his body this off season, um, I think is the off season where he has the biggest opportunity to make a jump and boy, is that scary. You don't have to tell us, but are there specific areas that you could, you know, watch his tape and say like, these are the areas in which you jump or is it just now you have a full off season and you're healthy and you're implementing all but of these with, things with and you're just going to be better in like, general. Yeah. It's better. It's more generalization of it. Right. If, if he was like really bad at throwing out routes to the left, but like, but he wasn't, you know what I mean? If, but if it was this, it was that. So I think it's going to be, he's going to become a more efficient mover and he's becoming, he's already become very efficient. Um, and specific throws. He just played his first full season, you know? So there's a lot of little things. Um, and uh, he lands in a couple of days. So I'll dive into what has transpired this off season here next week. Last question. I think a lot of us are quick to judge on the outside and clearly don't know exactly what we're judging. We're just judging, you know, the production, whether or not the numbers are there, the success is there. Is there a certain point where you think it should click by, or is it always a work in progress and there's room for growth? you know, or, or I guess the answer could be, it's different for everybody. For a player. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a point when they don't when have you a say bunch of things to work on? Or you just go, I, I know who this player is. Like this is, this is, you know, after X number of years in the league, perhaps like this is, you know, probably what we're going to continue to get is what we're getting right now. Um, yeah, for sure. But there's, well, you, I think you get to a point, I always say this, like quarterbacks are in their developmental phase. It starts when they're little. I think it ends around when they get their second contract. It doesn't end in the NFL. It doesn't end once they get a scholarship. Um, I mean, the developmental phase of the quarterbacks in when they're red shirty, right? The things that you can develop at that time. I always tell quarterbacks, if you're going to red shirt and you're a big time recruit and you've been the guy and all that stuff, like, be the franchise starting quarterback of whoever else is redshirting. Like get your own lift in, get your own film sessions in. Like you guys go to sushi on Wednesdays. You know what I mean? Like, so there's a thing that you can develop on aside yeah. from physically. Right. But when guys get into like their first second, like Joe's going into his third year. Yeah. There's things. Right. So do I, like, do I think he's going to become a running quarterback? No, but like there's you see what he is great. Now it's more efficient. Now you start to switch to like, what are things you can do on and off the field to become more durable and to be able to do this longer. And what are some things you can do to like, maybe let's test your eyes and let's see how your tracking and your vision is and your depth perception is let's look at like the, your, how's your vision, right? What are some things we can do psychologically, right? What are some things from a performance psychologist? So the evolution of the quarterbacks, I think Tom Brady would tell you, you, you know, and it's not cheesy and generic. You, know, you never stop evolving. You never stop working. You never stop finding a thing. He's, he is. He is evolving. Right. Um, I mean, I haven't seen Tom Brady make an unbelievable play in years. His ability no. to put himself in a position to put the ball in play. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't drop dimes 20 a game. I'm just saying, like, sprint to the right, juke the defensive end, and whip 160 across his body. I haven't seen that out of him. Right. But his ability to put the ball in play and remain on time and, do, and create, like, that's how he's evolved. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, um, 
I think they I become get- what they're going to become, but then you switch to longevity. Maybe your vision gets better, strengthening their core, getting them more connected. I, that's where I see the evolution, not, not really having an end. I guess my question was more rooted in like, from a judgment standpoint of when, when a quarterback has had enough chances that we kind of know what we're looking at, which uh, is sort of negative, I guess, in just general tone, but like there's every year, there's a handful of quarterbacks that you're like, you know, this is the year, like everybody's this year, Jalen Hurts has to have a big year. Everybody knows that I'm not breaking news, right? Like, or, or else they've positioned themselves. You know, you have like a Daniel Jones or something like that. You've got quarterbacks every year that maybe you haven't seen it to this point, but there becomes just from a business standpoint, the teams are like, I got to know by now, you know, and I'm wondering how much it's reasonable to expect somebody to continue getting yeah, much better. I got it. Past a certain I got point. the answer. My answer. Uh, I want to see them play a full season on a, in a good situation. hundred percent. Yeah. I haven't seen Sam Darnold do that yet. Totally. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him play in a good situation for a year yet. Yeah. Started that way last year, three and oh. And then you build your entire offense around Christian McCaffrey and he's out for the year. And when, when he got benched, they were on pace to shatter the NFL record for drop passes. I haven't seen him play 16, call it 10 games in a good situation. Right. Um, I've seen Baker do it right in a good situation. Seen Mitch do it play in a, relatively speaking a good sit now maybe maybe not right because we might have to go back in (laughs) what's our definition of good yeah but yes but i mean but i would have my here's my definition and like Mm -hmm. have they done that yet right Right. i look at the giants and this year and i go like if you ask me how i think daniel jones is as a player i go i think he should be really good i haven't seen him in a good situation yet there's a lot of potential for this to be a good situation this year i I think i I think as high of brian dable as any coach in this league can Saquon stay healthy? Is that one guy good? Is the kid going to step up? Is that guy? Like, there's a chance that that's a good situation. So we'll know more at the end of the year. But if somebody gets a good situation once or twice and it just is, they just can't get it done, maybe they need to change the scenery. Maybe this, maybe that. But that's kind of the threshold. But to say that this guy, that Sam Donald is a bust, when you've given him four totally different, for different reasons, bad situations, it's not any one person's fault. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not his. Right. Then I just, it doesn't matter if like I love Sam or not. I just, I can't come to a conclusion that he's a bad player when you put him in a bad situation. Cause I just think that if you put Tom Brady or any of these guys in a terrible situation, Russell Wilson last year, first bad season he's had, he was in a terrible situation. The offense line, this, that, the other thing, like even Russell Wilson can have a bad year. And that guy. Aren't- Aren't there quarterbacks? Eight. Aren't there quarterbacks though that overcome some bad situations? Like y- your guy Burrow had a not so great offensive line in front of him, but he was the type of quarterback that could kind of overcome that situation. Now he had other pieces around him that were certainly outstanding, right? But yeah, but there but are certain quarterbacks. Like, but but like he had probably the worst offensive line and probably the best receiving core, right? So okay. it's just like so it's it's kind of offset. That defense created a ton of turnovers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they played against the AFC North in a year when Lamar Jackson was out the entire time. Pittsburgh's as bad as they're ever going to be. And Cleveland was in shambles. So it's just like, you know what I mean? They got Tennessee. He throws three, three picks. Like they capped there at a great team. He overcame all sorts. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have to defend why I think Joe Burrow is good at football, but I'm just saying like that, that was, that was, I don't think that was a bad situation the same way that I think the Giants was last year for, you know what I mean? Or, or the or mm-hmm. Carolina or, or some of these other situations were bad. Um, there was an element of the team that was really, really weak offset by some elements that were really, really strong. Now I was, I can't believe they went to the Super Bowl. That was crazy. Right. Um, but the parts of their team that were good were really good. No, the parts of their team that weren't good should be pretty good too. So he's headed into a great situation. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you letting me hang around and just watch you guys do your work. I thought it was incredibly interesting. And, um, and I'm, I'm thoroughly fascinated by the ways in which it's different from what we're seeing elsewhere for the reasons that you said, like Desmond said at, at one point when I was there that, uh, a lot of quarterbacks aren't even taught how to do a drop back. You just start dropping mm-hmm. back. 
I yeah. find that incredible. Three and a half. Just where you're one starting. big, two little, but not how. Yeah. It's crazy. You it's crazy. start from the ground up. So I'm interested yeah. to see where this goes for, for you. I want to change the way that the entire position is developed by getting back to the roots and making this really, really simple. But I'm, but if you want to do it this way, you're going to have to learn a little bit about the body. So we'll see how it goes. So fascinating. And there's lots more from Jordan out there at qbsummit.com. And on social media, he's on Instagram and TikTok with tips and analysis. His handle in both places is Jordan Palmer. You can find me at Lindsay underscore Rhodes on Twitter. I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram. Always eager to hear your feedback, what you found interesting about today's conversation, what you wish that maybe we had talked about a little bit further. In fact, in that regard, I would love it if you'd leave your feedback on the podcasting platform that you're listening on to a review, a star rating, a like, a subscribe, all the things that keep the NFL Roadshow going as a part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Andrew Immer is our producer, always does a great job. Love Andrew. Marissa Rivas is the director of sports podcasts for SiriusXM, and Steve Cohen is the SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting. And big thanks to all of those aforementioned people. Hope that you have a great weekend, everybody, and I also hope that we'll see you back here again next week. Serious XM Podcasts.